The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Good morning, Story City Church. I hope you guys have had a wonderful morning. I miss you as I'm away. But I wanted to intro today's message before our speaker comes up. And I wanted to share with you a few thoughts and pose to you the question that we want to challenge you with here in the third week of the Sense series. Several years ago, I went to the country of Ecuador on a mission trip. And while I was there, there was a missionary who pointed out a mountain, and he said just over that mountain, about 30 minutes away from where we were, was a location where a missionary by the name of Jim Elliott had been martyred. I didn't know the story of Jim Elliott, and so I began to read his story. And that story is fascinating. When Jim was in his early 20s, God gave him a passion for the gospel, but specifically he gave him a passion to share the gospel among an unreached people group in the Amazon jungles. And one of those people groups was the Alka Indian tribe there in the Amazon. And so for four years, Jim, along with other missionaries, lived in Ecuador. And in 1956, four years after they moved there, Jim and four of the missionaries finally made contact with the Alka Indians. They landed a plane on the shores of a small strip of beach there in the Amazon jungle. And for six days, they were able to interact with this Alka Indian tribe. Until that time, it's been said that they were such a fierce tribe that they had literally killed every known outsider who had come into their territory. But for six days, they interacted with the Alka Indians, were friendly, and things were going well. And as they waited on other members of the tribe to come out to the beach, a surprise, strange turn of events happened on the beach there in 1956, that January. So as they waited for Indians to come out, They indeed did come, and it was a group of warriors whose surprise attacked them and speared all five missionaries who died on the beach that day. It's a tragic story of death in the shadow of faith, but the beautiful part of the story is that it didn't end that day on the beaches in the Amazon jungle. You see, not long after that, Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, along with their 10-month-old daughter, moved to live with the Alka Indians. There was another man that was martyred that day. His name was Nate Saint. He was the pilot of the plane that landed on the strip that day. His sister Rachel also moved with Elizabeth to the Alka Indian tribe. Elizabeth lived there for two years. Rachel lived there for 30 years. In the midst of them living among the Alka Indians, many of them came to faith in Jesus. Nate Saint, the pilot of the plane that landed on the shore that day, had a son. His name was Steve. And Steve came back as a nine-year-old, lived in the tribe as well with his Aunt Rachel. And the story is told by Steve himself. And he says, at nine years old, the man who killed his father, his name was Minkai. Minkai had come to faith in Jesus, and Minkai began to share the gospel with Steve as well. Today, the Alka Indian tribe is a friendly tribe. In fact, one anthropologist says that the tribe was spared from self-extinction because of their conversion to Christianity. To this day, Steve Saint, whose father was killed on the beach that day, he still lives among the Alka Indian tribe sharing the gospel. In fact, until Minkai was able to physically The man who killed Steve's father, Minkai, along with Steve, would travel the U.S. and share their story about the gospel, about grace, and about forgiveness. It's an incredible story of God redeeming a tragic situation because of people who were using their lives to be sent by God with the gospel. Two and a half years, though, before Jim Elliott ever moved to be among the Alka Indians, he penned in his journal, 
some words that he quoted from a 17th century preacher. And those words in his journal are now on display in Wheaton College in their archives. And the words that he penned two and a half years before he moved to Ecuador were this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. Jim Elliott lost his life. He knew he couldn't keep it. It wasn't his life to keep anyway. And in losing his life, many gained new life. You know, the story of Jim Elliott, Elizabeth Elliott, Nate Saint, Steve Saint, Rachel Saint, their story challenges me. It challenges my call. It challenges my faith. But I also want to say to you today that it challenges my will. People who are willing to share the gospel with people, but also people who are willing to share the gospel with people who killed their loved ones. They were willing. The question before us today is, am I willing? Is my life available to be sent by God? Are there people in my life today that could possibly say at some point in the future that I came to know and love Jesus because you were sent to me. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is at the end of his missionary journeys. He knows that his life is about to come to a tragic end. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he pens the following words. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. History tells us that Paul was beheaded by the Emperor Nero. In fact, some scholars say that his body was simply discarded and eventually eaten by dogs. Yet another life that was available, that was lived intentionally to be sent by God so that other people could know about Jesus, know the gospel, the grace, and the forgiveness of God. This morning, before our speaker comes up, I want to pose the question to you. Are you willing to be sent? Is your life available to be used by God? Are there people in your life today that could even possibly have the potential to say, I came to know and love Jesus because you were in my life. You were sent by God to me. Today, our family ministries director, Chris Revel, is going to come and share his story about how he said, Lord, my life is available. Whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, wherever you want, my life is available to you. I'm excited as you guys get to hear the story today and be challenged to be available to be sent by God. Have a great morning. Good morning, Story City. Say, I know that Matt and Tyler, both from the video and just from here, have introduced me already, but I am Chris Revel. If I haven't met you yet, I would love to meet you. Um, and kind of before I get started, this series is one that is truly near and dear to my heart. Um, it's honestly the reason that I'm here. Um, and being the family ministries director, that's honestly, that's something that is really just a fancy way of saying that I have the great privilege of just hanging out with and pointing the kids in our church and the city to Christ. Um, but before we get started this morning, um, I'm just open this up in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Um, just thank you for just how incredibly gracious you are, Lord. Thank you that you are faithful, that you provide. And Lord, I just pray that we can just open up our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that you will speak through me. Um, 
And I just thank you for just this morning to come worship you freely. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so a little background on me. Um, I am from Tallahassee, Florida, and if you hear a little bit of an accent, that's because Tallahassee is not like the rest of Florida that everybody thinks of when they hear Florida. They think of the beaches in like Miami or going to Disney World and Orlando. Tallahassee is much more like South Georgia than the rest of Florida. I lived about 12 miles from the Georgia line, um, and my whole family, we grew up hunting and fishing and all the weird stuff that everybody's like, what are these hicks doing? Like, that's, that's my family. Um, so I'm one, I'm the oldest of five. I have a 22-year-old sister who is married, and she lives up in North Carolina. And then I have triplet 11-year-old brothers and sister. Um, yeah, never a dull moment. It's never a dull moment. Um, but I, was, I went to Florida State, uh, played football there, and then I coached there for three years. Um, and then I ended up working for a wealth management group in Tallahassee for the last two years before I came here. It was honestly something I never thought that I would do. Um, and I am extremely grateful to have that opportunity because I've seen how the Lord has prepared just my heart and for the next steps in my life by that job. Um, but I never thought that L.A. would even be an option. I honestly thought that I would live in Tallahassee forever. I figured I'd die there at some point, and it'd be just a great life. Um, and it didn't, help, or didn't hurt that my f- whole family is there. And I, when I say my whole family, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, we have extended family. I'm related to everybody in Tallahassee. Like, I would have new people come up to me weekly and be like, hey, you know, we're actually related. And it'd be like, I don't, I don't want to know. Like, it's just, I, that somehow, it, that's, that's the case. Um, so I coached up at Florida State. I was there. And for the first time in about eight years, when I took this wealth management, wealth management job, I was actually able to spend time with my family. Um, coaching and playing in college, if anybody has been a part of it or done it, it takes all of your time. Um, and so for the first time in my life, I volunteered at the church, and I was a part of the youth ministry helping out there, pouring into the college and young professionals ministry. And it seemed like everything was just going great. It was like, man, like, so this is how life is supposed to be, Lord. Like, this is, everything's going really well. Um, and then my pastor back home, who is just one of the most godly men that I've ever known and poured into me a ton, invited me to this conference um, called the SEND Conference, S-E-N-D. Um, we don't need help sinning, at least I don't especially. Um, but it was this conference, and when it was in the middle of the week, and it was one of those things where I was like, you know what? It's going to be free. It's one of those midweek vacations that's just going to be really good for me. I'm excited about it. Um, and going into it, that's really, that's all the thought that I had put into it. And then I got there and it was like, the first speaker that night um, is a pastor from up in Vegas and he spoke on Acts 11 and how one of the greatest movements in church history started with a group that the Bible just refers to as them. There's no specific person. There's no credit that's given to anybody, but it was just them. And why can't you be them? So later that night, I'm, I'm wrecked. I'm like, Lord, I thought I was where I was supposed to be. Like, how, like what are you doing? Like, no, this is not a part of the plan. Um, so I get back from the conference, and I'm just, I'm all over the place. I'm like, Lord, like, what is going on? Like, this is how my life was supposed to be. I was supposed to stay here in Tallahassee. Um, but one of the last things we did before we actually left 
was the last night of the conference, they gave everybody a card um, under their seat. And this was my card. And essentially, you were supposed to write down your promise to the Lord over the next year of your life. So the first, and keep in mind, this is not knowing anything that's about to happen. What I wrote down, just the first line was, I'm committed to you, Lord. Help me listen to what you are telling me and follow wholeheartedly wherever or whatever it is. I will go because you're worth it. I go back, and even the youth pastor that I worked with back home, and it's like, you had to write wherever. Like, (laughs) you couldn't just say, like, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. Um, But sure enough, it was wherever. Um, And honestly, I was really happy just investing where I was. I was comfortable, and it just, everything seemed to click just how I was supposed to be. Um, About three weeks later, um, I'm in this wealth management job, I'm making good money, and I have the potential to make more money than I've ever dreamed of. We'd sit in meetings with people, and I'd walk out having to keep a straight face the whole time, and it'd be like, oh my, I'd walk out and be like, did he really say that that's how much money he's making right now? And I'm the one that's sitting there like, man, I'm actually supposed to be managing this, like holy moly. Um, So I walked in, and I was the secession plan for my boss. So in about 15 years, I was just going to take over the business, and it, it was just, it was perfect. And so after we get back from the conference, about three weeks goes by and a ton of just prayer and just getting in the word. And I walk into my boss's office about three weeks later and I say, hey, I don't really know how to say this, but I'm not going to be here much longer. And he kind of just looked at me and I was like, I don't know where I'm going, but I know that I'm not going to be in Tallahassee much longer. And he just, he was dumbfounded. He was like, okay, like I don't really, I don't really comprehend what you're, like you have the perfect setup here. Um, So I was heading something that, heading to something that was completely foreign to me. Um, And I'm not a great planner. I'm learning to be more of a planner, but I'm really, I like to just kind of go with the flow. Like I don't like to think too much into stuff a lot of the times. Um, So this was something that was totally new. And all of a sudden I was like, man, I actually want to know what's going on. Lord, I want to know what the plan is. Um, And for some reason, LA just kept coming up, kept coming up. And so I reach out to the North American Mission Board, and I'm like, hey, what, what are the options? What is this whole church planning thing about? I've never wanted to be a pastor at all. I've never wanted to really be a full-time, in full-time ministry. I figured I'd help volunteer here or there, have my full-time job, and it'd just be great. Like, it'd be perfect. Um, and especially when LA kept popping up, I was like, Lord... <laughs> That's, that's funny. That's, that's really, and if you don't think the Lord has a sense of humor, just wait. Just wait. Um, because in my mind, I'm like, Lord, I can go to Texas. I can go to Tennessee. It's much more like home. It's cheaper. And there's barbecue everywhere. So why, why, can't, why can't it be there? Um, but that, that just was not in the Lord's plan. So these, I have four different people from the North American Mission Board that tell me, hey, you need to reach out to this guy named Matt Lawson. He's a pastor of Story City Church. You should reach out to him. I was like, all right. I had no idea who Matt Lawson was. Um, so I reach out. We end up talking. And last year, I flew out to meet Matt just to see if there was an opportunity here. Um, really didn't think anything would come of it. I was like, man, maybe something does, but I'd really doubt it. Um, and Matt told me, he was like, hey, man, we have an internship maybe next summer. 
but there are a lot of things that have to fall into place before that happens. So he's like, let's just stay in touch, and we can kind of go from there. Um, so naturally, I was like, Lord, this is great. Like, this is awesome. Like, you're providing. You're doing a lot of stuff right now. But, like, I'm ready to go. I've already told my boss, like, I'm no longer on salary. I'm working hourly just to pay my bills now. And, like, I, I need something. Like, I know, I know that you think I'm a needy person, but, Lord, I, I'm going to need something here. Um, and I consider myself a pretty patient person until this whole process started. Um, and as you can guess, the Lord, that was one of the first things that he worked on was just my patience throughout the whole process. And it seemed that every time that I tried to open a door, it just slammed right back in my face. And I was like, all right, well, if this is the case, I'll just stay here. That's better for me anyways. I can find another job. Like, I can live in the woods and be happy, and it'll be good to go. Um, but it just, I, I couldn't shake the feeling like, man, you're not, you're not supposed to be here. Um, so Matt and I stayed in touch. We ended up, I called Matt, I think, right around Christmas, and he returned my call the week after, and was like, hey, man, I got an internship that is about to be available. And I was like, all right. Like, and I'm still in the process of thinking, all right, that's the summer, so there's really not anything now. And he's like, what do you think about February? And I was like, oh, all right. Well, now that that's on the table, I don't really know if I'm ready to do that. Um, and it ended up getting pushed back to just about mid-March when I ended up coming. But during that process, I got impatient again. And it was like, Lord, like, why, why can't you make this happen now? Like, I'm ready, and you keep postponing it for some reason. I don't, I don't get it. Um, <laughs> I ended up going to this church planning conference up in Vegas, and it was, it was incredible. It was a great conference. But for me, I was like, man, I really want some clarity here. And I, I thought that was going to be, it was going to give me some clarity. And the reality was it did the complete opposite. I left and I was like, all right, well, now I got three things on the table and I have no clue which one is going to work out. I didn't know if LA was really going to work still. There were still some things that were up in the air that we were waiting on. Um, and so I got back home and I've been going and going and going. So I ended up taking that weekend and I went to the beach and I just fasted and prayed that weekend, um, which I had to say, the bad part was the hotel I was at had the best continental breakfast I had ever seen. And it, I walked in, and I was like, you get, I mean, I, the first morning, I was like, this is a joke. Like, like there's, there's no, I've never seen a continental breakfast like this. Like, I would pay like 15 or 20 bucks for this. Um, but the last morning that I was there, I went out, watched the sunrise, just super peaceful morning. I was just praying. And I came back into my hotel room, and I ended up face down on the floor crying for about an hour and a half. And I was like, Lord, what do you want me to do? Why, like, I don't get it. Like, where, where are you trying to lead? Um, and honestly, it was like the Lord was standing right beside me, and he was like, just trust me. Just trust me. And it was like he said it 10 times. And I was like, okay. And in that moment, I realized that I got so caught up and trying to figure out what the Lord wanted me to do and where he wanted me to go, that the intimacy of my relationship with him had completely fallen off. And I think very often in our relationships with the Lord, that's the case. We get so caught up in what's going on in the world and everything else that's going on that we forget first and foremost, it's about a relationship with Jesus. And it's that intimacy there that overflows to other things. It's not the other way around. And that was 
that was huge for me. Um, so after that morning, I'm about to drive back, and anybody ever been told, either growing up or, hey, pray specific prayers. And it was like, I'd heard that growing up my whole life, but I always forgot, it, whether it was just from football or baseball, and I couldn't remember them, or it was just because I didn't write them down. But I was like, all right, this time I'm writing every single word down. So I wrote out three different prayers and got as specific as I possibly could get. And I was like, Lord, if there is one thing that is off here, I am not going. Because I thought that I was still in control of the situation. And that, of course, the Lord still, that sense of humor there. Nothing happens the rest of that day. I was expecting a, like 30 minutes later something was going to happen. Um, but that next day, around noon, I get a call from Matt Lawson. I'm like, hey, Matt, what's going on? And he literally says verbatim what I wrote on the sheet of paper. To the T. I mean, it, it, I, my, he said it, and I was like, oh. I was like, are you serious? And he was like, is something wrong? I was like, no, I just, I'm going to need a couple days just to pray through this and to get with my family and just seek counsel from the men that have been poured into my life before I really jumped in and said yes. So ended up saying yes, and March 19th, ended up coming out here. But there was a quote throughout this whole process by a pastor and author of the study, Experiencing God. A lot of people have probably heard of it. His name's Henry Blackaby. And the quote is this. It says, if you do not have clear instructions from God in a matter, pray and wait. Learn patience and depend on God's timing. His timing is always right and best. Don't get in a hurry. He may be withholding directions to cause you to seek him more intently. Don't try to skip over the relationship to get on with doing. God is more interested in a love relationship with you than what you can do for him. And I, I've read that more times than I can honestly say because it, that was just so true. It was like, man, just wait. You're, my timing is not right. It's, and most of the time, it's completely wrong. So we ask you this morning, when you look at your life right now, are you living sent? Is your life available to be used by God for the glory of his kingdom? Are you willing to be sent no matter what the cost is? This word sent indicates deployment with a purpose. It's not just, hey, I'm going to go here and just kind of see what happens. No, there is a specific purpose for where you were going and why you were going there. Matt mentioned two weeks ago about being a sent disciple and how that looks different than, some, or than someone who simply just attends church as just this religious gathering. So when you think of willingness to do something, what comes to mind? Is there any example that just automatically comes to mind? When you describe willingness, it's really a desire to do something. There's a readiness that's there. And for most people, it's for their benefit. If there's gonna be any cost to it at all, it's usually disregarded. If there's sacrifice involved, you can pretty much just completely throw it off the table. And if the sacrifice not only depends on you, but the circumstances depend on somebody else, there's, it's just an automatic no. There's, there's no willingness that is there. So when we talk about this willingness to be sent, there's a trust factor that is crucial to, being, to live in that way. So who do you trust more? 
do you trust yourself or do you trust God? And that's a very easy thing to just answer. Oh, I, oh, I trust God way more than I trust myself. But as soon as suffering or pain or a really difficult decision comes up, where do you look? Do you go to scripture? Or do you just try to think through it yourself till you get to a point where it's like, oh, okay, I kind of think I have a good idea, and then we'll go. Because the reality is, if you're not seeking Christ first in this, you're, you're not going the right direction. He's not going to lead you astray, ever. So last week, Shunley talked about being sent to your job or the marketplace. You could be sent to another city anywhere in the world, or it could be where you are currently. It could be the neighborhood you live in. There could be someone at your job right now that's just watching every action, just wondering, all right, this person claims to be a Christian, but is there anything that's different, or are they just exactly the same as everybody else that's around us? Are you willing to be used by God to speak truth that is the gospel into a person's life, or are you so caught up with doing everything else that's going on in life that you're just missing it? So our scripture this morning is in Romans 10, and it's verses 14 through 17. It says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they, not, or they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, the Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. So at, at the first glance here, when we see this passage, and your, your thought might be the same as mine. When the Lord put this passage on my heart this, morning, or this past week, I was like, Lord, what in the world does this have to do with willingness? I was like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not seeing it. But the more that I thought just, all right, what, what do we, how do we actually define willingness? And just the more that I sank and just prayed through the text, it became extremely clear to me. So in a town where there's a constant search for the greatest story or the best news headline that's coming out, do you believe that you have the greatest news, the greatest truth and the greatest story that anyone on the planet could ever hear. What an incredible blessing to be able to share the gospel with the people that are around you, to be able to go into your job or your neighborhood or just your home and to tell the people that are there, you are loved, you are made in the image of God, and you are worth it. No matter where you're from or what you look like, it does not matter because you are made in the image of God and he loves you. Do you really believe that, or is it just a thought that happens on Sundays? Because if you really believe it, your life should look radically different than everybody else. If you're willing to be sent, I really believe that this passage should weigh on your heart, because it is, it is weighed on mine a ton. One of the biggest realizations I had before this whole process started of coming out here was that I, I didn't have a true burden for the lost. And that was one of the most difficult things that I had to admit. That, oh, I was a Christian that just showed up on Sunday, but like, yeah, and I'd go on a mission trip here or there, but did I actually have a burden for the lost people everywhere that I was, or just in the world in general? 
one of the things that I had to start doing was, and I, I, one of the gentlemen at the conference that I went to started talking about it, and it was praying every morning that the Lord would give him, that the Lord would give him his heart for the lost. Not our hearts, because our hearts are deceitful, but that we would have God's heart for the lost. And once you see the change there, if you approach it from that perspective, when you look at somebody that doesn't know the gospel and doesn't know what a relationship with Jesus is like, you view them in a completely different way because you understand, oh my goodness. It's not just, oh, well, they're, yeah, they're a Christian. No, it's a difference between death and life. I want to make something very clear just before we move forward here. And the reality is it's, we get so caught up. Oh, what, what is heaven? I can't wait to get to heaven. It's not about a destination. It's not. It's about a relationship with Jesus first and foremost. And there is nothing over that. It's not about just getting to heaven because without Jesus being there, it, that, that is what hell is. Hell is literally, it's, it's so bad because of the absence of the presence of God. One of the questions that my grandpa, who I love to death, he's probably the funniest human that I have ever been around. And I think part of that is because he thinks he's hysterical. Um, and it doesn't matter what anybody else really thinks at times. And the best part is I'm the only other one that laughs at everything that happens. Um, but he asked me the question. He said, are you willing to go if you don't see anybody come to Christ? And that was one that I struggled with a lot because I was like, Man, like, that, that'd, be, that'd be really hard. But the reality is, none of us can save anybody. It doesn't matter who you are. If the Lord's plan is for us to plant seeds that future generations will harvest, will you still go? Is it worth it? Or is it just, oh, you know what, like, I don't want to go unless, because we want to see results. I want, I want to see it now. But that might not be what you're called to. You might be called to pour into a person's life at work that you may pass on and then somebody else comes along and all of a sudden, boom, right there. Just because you took the time to just pour life into this person. So the more I look back at this last year of just getting to LA, hearing stories from people here at the church, um, and just different journeys that people have been on getting here, the more I realize that when we think about the willingness to be sent, the core of it is often overlooked. This willingness is about love and obedience, first and foremost. When we look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, it's not a suggestion. It's not, hey, you know what, if you feel all right, like, go and make disciples. If your job's really going well, finally, and you're comfortable, then go. No, it is a command. And we see in 2 John verse 6, John says, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. So this willingness is much more a heart problem than it is anything else. So I ask you this morning, what, are, are you willing? How do we get to the point where we're willing to be sent like Jim Elliott or the Saint family? Or the millions of other missionaries that nobody knows what has happened to them, but they went because they knew the purpose of their life, that first and foremost, they were supposed to seek Jesus and then go and make disciples. One of the most quoted scriptures when it comes to this topic of just being sent is in Isaiah 6, 8. And this is Isaiah's commissioning from God. 
And it's this, this is the Lord speaking. It says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then Isaiah says, here I am, send me. There's this humble readiness of complete trust in Isaiah's response here. If our love is shown through our obedience to Christ, shouldn't we view our obedience to him as an expression of our love and not just some duty that we're supposed to do? Our lives should be an example to everyone around us, no matter where you are, of the hope, the joy, and the love that comes from Jesus. To the outside world, it's going to look different. You may be persecuted at times. There's, there's things that we don't even understand because we are so lucky to be here and just show up on a Sunday and worship Jesus together. So I ask you, are you simply attending church? Are you what Jesus calls a sent disciple? This willingness is not going to come naturally. Our flesh does not desire to pick up our own cross. It does not desire to deny itself. Until the desires of our heart become what the Lord desires, we're not going to be willing to live sent. And our desires won't become his until we are pursuing and seeking him through his word. When you read this passage in Romans 10, does it burden your heart when you think about the people that haven't heard the gospel, they haven't heard the good news? Just because somebody is like, ah, I don't know if I should go. How incredible would it be to see a group of people, people just be obedient out of love, not of a sense of duty, but out of love to go share the gospel, the good news. One of the coolest things is being able to see somebody share the gospel with somebody else because their response after, not the person that just heard it, but the response of the person that just shared, there is normally this just... It's like a aura that's around them because you are sharing the most true thing that you could ever share with anybody. Do you realize that God is already at work in our city, in our church, in the neighborhoods where we live, in your jobs, and that you have the opportunity to just be a part of what he is doing? He's already, he's already at work. John 20, 21 says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So what is stopping you from, willing to, to, from being willing to be sent? Is it the thought of being uncomfortable or unsafe? Is it a thought of unworthiness? Is it your lack of trust in God? Maybe you've been let down so many times in your life and you think that there is no way that you can truly trust anyone completely. Can I promise you something this morning? And it may be hard to hear, but everybody in your life at some point in time is gonna let you down because we're human. We're, we're going to fall short. That's just the reality of it. But I can promise you that our God, our Father, our Redeemer, our Savior will never let you down. He is faithful always. When we are weak, He is strong. And that is something that I have struggled with forever because it does not make sense that weakness shows strength. But that's because it's not, it's not my strength. It's his. And if we will just get out of the way and just be available for the Lord to use us, we, 
there is so much more that the Lord can do in just a breath than we will do in an entire lifetime. This past week, looking through just prayers that I wrote in my Bible just over the, the last year before I came here, it was surreal just to see the faithfulness of God in the answered prayers that were there. And it wasn't anything special that I wrote. It was just vulnerability, which I am really not very good with. It was just vulnerability to say, Lord, this is what I'm struggling with. I I don't know how to do it. I don't know how you're gonna get it done, but I know you will, not me. So no matter what we're going through, seek him and be available. Trust that his timing and his plans are always perfect and they are always right. He will never, ever let you down. All you have to do is just trust him. That's it. He's going to provide. The Lord has constantly just reaffirmed my call out here. It it seems like every week, and and it is my job to literally share the gospel with the students and the kids in this city. Like, are you serious? That's, that's crazy. I'm just a small town kid from Tallahassee, Florida, and I'm in LA. Like that makes no sense. And half the time the kids don't understand what I'm saying. <laughs> but this, this morning, are you willing and available for the Lord to use you? Or are you gonna wait for the next thing to fall in line so that you feel a little bit more comfortable to take that next step? Dear Lord, I thank you just for, I thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Lord, your timing is perfect. And I need to be more dependent on you. Lord, I pray that you would just help us this week just to live sin, Lord. I pray that you would just help us live a life that just glorifies you and your kingdom, Lord. Thank you all you do. In Christ's name I pray.